Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at belief? Welcome everyone to the 29th episode of the Lovable Podcast. This week we are going to be talking about the art of receiving compliments. You see, for most of us, the problem is not that we are given no affirmation. The problem is that we have difficulty truly receiving the affirmations we are given. They roll off of us, like water off of a duck's back. We're going to talk about how to absorb them, take them in, and allow them to remind us of our worthiness. Before we get into this week's episode, though, let's make sure you've got a copy of my free ebook about marriage. It's not an instruction manual, it's a new vision for marriage, and I hear from people all the time that this new lens has been transformative for their marriage. So if you haven't already picked it up, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com, that's drkellyflanagan.com, and sign up in the right sidebar. In your introductory email, you'll get the free ebook and a free sample of Lovable. And then after that, each week, you'll just get one email on Wednesday mornings with a link to this podcast and to my every other week blog post. And of course, if you want more than just a sample of Lovable, you can go to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com to find out all about it. Reading Lovable will take the content in this podcast to a whole new level for you, so be sure to check it out. It's available everywhere in paperback, digital, and audio, wherever books are sold, so you can pick up a copy from your favorite place to buy books. All right. On to this week's episode, compliments, our resistance to them, and how to truly receive them. Hello, Facebook Live. Welcome to week 28 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled Learning How to Take a Compliment. Today, we're going to get you over your resistance to receiving compliments so you can truly receive them and be reminded of your worthiness. Before we get into this week, though, lots of challenging stuff in recent weeks. Letting go of our ego, clarifying and perhaps even shrinking our circles of belonging, overcoming the barriers to sharing empathy in our relationships, and so on. Uh, How's this year going for you right now? What are you being challenged by or what are you celebrating? I'd love to hear from you. While you're thinking about what you would want to share right now from your experience of this year, I would just say I, I sort of had this, you know, having done the podcast episode last week about empathy, I sort of had that on my mind this week. And so as I was going through my clinical week with individual clients and with marital clients, um, I sort of had my antenna up. And what I would say is that most consistently, the most consistent barrier to empathy is not a lack of care for the other, is not a lack of love for the other, um, is not a lack of even desire to empathize. It's a fear of feeling one's own pain. It's a fear of, uh, of feeling one's own wounds. It's a fear of really facing the loneliness of that little one within. Um, because until I experience my own pain, 
and my own wounds and the loneliness of the little one within me, I can't relate to your pain and your wounds and the loneliness within you. All I can do is offer fixes. All I can do is try to make it go away or hope that it goes away or blame you for being broken or whatever. Um, empathy, it is, it is always, always founded upon this hard work of wading into our own pain first so that we have a ground from which we can, can empathize. And, um, and that's so hard to do. Um, and that when we're committing to relationship, what we're committing to is feeling our own pain. I commit to you that I will not, I will not avoid my own pain, that I will become familiar with it so that I can better understand yours. Um, and that that is just so fundamental to belonging. So that was what I was struck by over and over again this week. And, um, and that's in relation to just our last, um, our last talk about empathy. But again, curious to hear anything that you're, you're thinking about or digesting right now with regard to this, this year. Carrie Lynn writes, I called you all my Wednesday group where we get real. Um, awesome. That, (laughs) I mean, if we could just each say we've got one group in life right? Wednesday, number one, because it means it's regular um, and where we get real. And that goes back a couple weeks, right? Carrie Lynn to um, that idea of developing a ritual of gathering, um, which we are already doing here. Um, And so, yeah, I I, I would hope that for each of us, that that there is some group that we call our Wednesday group or our second Tuesday of the month group or whatever. And in that place, we know we just get to go and get real. And what's crazy about that is you look forward to that then. your energy starts to build as you approach it because you know you're not gonna have to invest all that energy in in hiding or pretending or putting on a, on a certain facade. So um, may, that, may that happen to all of us, whether it's with this group or another group or forming in our lives. Julie writes, I've had lots of inner loneliness lately. And then she adds, and I hit send instead of backspace. Tablet, keyboard, face palm, don't think I have much else I want to share right now. Um, Julie, honestly, I don't know that there's anything more you need to share. Um, One of the most transformative ideas that has ever happened to me is that loneliness doesn't go away by making it go away. Loneliness goes away by confessing it to people who can also confess their loneliness. And that when, instead of trying to make everybody's loneliness go away, you say, well, let's be lonely together. Um, let's, let's do this sort of lonely human thing together. Um, our loneliness dissipates a little bit. And, uh, and so I hope by, I hope by sharing that, um, that, that you've been feeling lonely lately. Um, I hope you know that you're not alone and, um, and in this space you have people who are aware of their loneliness and, and experiencing it with you. Esther writes, Julie, all good. Don't worry. We're all here because we can relate. You're not the only one. Esther. Thank you for saying what I said in a very lengthy way, in a very pithy way. That's right. Um, you are not alone, Julie. We're, we're all here because we, we know we're carrying it too. So thank you. Thanks, Esther. And Julie H. adds, must be a Julie feeling. I've experienced a loneliness when I became an empty nester that I didn't know existed. I think it's taught me more about understanding others. Uh, Julie H., thank you for that. Um, you know, it's just a reminder that there's an awful lot going on in life that sort of distracts us from our fundamental loneliness. Um, and it's not a Julie feeling, it's a human feeling. And when some of those, and I don't mean distractions in a bad way, but when some of those things that occupy our attention or our time suddenly go away, 
we're left with little else to, little else to pay attention to except our loneliness and we become more aware of it for the first time and uh, and learning how to exist within it um, and my goodness to be able to redeem it Julie H by saying it's taught me how to understand others better um, that's the that's the most beautiful outcome we can we can hope for from loneliness right um, and in a way in that in that journey it begins to dissipate a little bit so thanks for that that beautiful example of how that can happen Stephanie writes Kelly do you think loneliness happens when we transition into another season of life it's coming to terms with a new identity such as becoming a parent going through a divorce retiring empty nester it's a great question it doesn't necessarily have my my gut reaction Stephanie is that it doesn't necessarily have to be um, that if we choose to, we can rush into those transitions and fill them with activity and fill them with problem solving and doing and sort of push push any space to feel the uncertainty of it all and the loneliness that always comes with some uncertainty. We can do that if we want. Um, but probably to do it best when we make these sorts of transitions is to pause and reflect. Um, to pause and reflect on the previous season and the season that's coming and all the uncertainty that that introduces. And then we do have an opportunity to experience our loneliness in that a little bit. Um, and in that sense, loneliness to me is healthy. Um, it's unhealthy to rush right into trying to tackle the next thing and not giving ourselves any time to feel sort of the, the, uh, the disequilibrium of, of the transition. So um, we can learn a lot from our loneliness in those moments if we take the space. Julie writes, yes, change. Change is super lonely, even when it's a good thing. Yes, I mean, so much change involves change in our circles, our social circles, right? Um, empty, empty nesters experience a massive change in their social circles. A lot of times our, our social circles are arranged around our kids and their activities and their friends, parents, and so on and so forth, and all of a sudden, oh wait, I have to be a social being again, <laughs> all on my own. Um, or a change of jobs, Julie, like you're facing, new social situations. Um, certainly, I mean, gosh, changes to marriage or change moves or all sorts of different transitions require us to get reacclimated to our social situation. And that brings up all sorts of questions of loneliness and worthiness again and, and all of that. So yeah, we have to let ourselves have the space to digest all that. Julie writes, yep, uncertainty, unfamiliarity, that stuff. Isn't it interesting? It is that uncertainty and a sense of loneliness seem to go together. Um, you almost wonder if when you look around the world and you see all of the certainty going on, everybody's certain of everything, that it might just be a way to stave off loneliness. Um, but in the end, of course, what we know is it makes us more lonely because certainty is an ego function. It's the false self's way of going out and protecting in the world, and our true self remains lonelier than ever. So again, if we can have the courage to go in and get familiar with the loneliness going on, we're getting more reconnected with our true self and more prepared to go out and actually have true belonging. Trista writes, Julie, I think change prompts feelings of loss of control. We can't verbalize all those overwhelming fears. We feel lonely in them and seek understanding. Yeah, I like that. I like that nuance to it. Um, Trista, that, you know, that we um, change, transition, disequilibrium introduces all sorts of feelings that we don't, aren't even familiar with, right? So how can we really express them and feel connected in them if we're still trying to get our sense of what those feelings and thoughts are? So I really like that. It's a little bit of grace for those of us who are feeling lonely in the midst of transitions and going, oh yeah, that's because I haven't even figured out what I am feeling yet, let alone able to communicate it. It's good stuff. 
Marie writes, I too am carrying some weighty stuff this week with loneliness as well as I enter my inner space and not escaping in usual routes like busyness and social contact. The courage, Marie, the courage to not be relying on all of those and sometimes very good distractions, healthy distractions, good work, good relationships, um, good ways of adding to the world. But if they're serving the function of helping us avoid all of our loneliness, then... Um, then we have some turning inward to do. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to do that, and good for you for doing that work. Brenda writes, I love how this group allows each others to have our quiet Wednesdays. <laughs> yeah, Brenda, I know last week you had a quiet Wednesday, and uh, yeah, no pressure to have a, a not quiet one this week either. Um, but yeah, like, isn't that what a place of belonging is supposed to do? It's supposed to let you be what you are in that moment. Um, to not expect you to have to throw on a, um, a mask to, to fit in or to please the group. So yeah, I hope everybody knows that when you show up to these conversations, um, if you are typically a talker, right, or a contributor and you don't want to be for a week or a month, you certainly aren't expected to be. Um, so thank you for that. And you guys have all given me the grace at times too. I've, you know, I've started off um, these Facebook live sessions saying, I'm exhausted today. Y'all got to carry me. <laughs> and you have. Um, and, uh, and so that's, uh, that's something I'm grateful for. I'm reminded of a friend this week who um, my wife was sharing something with him about a burden in her story. And he was sharing about how in his Jewish tradition, um, the centrality of community and, uh, and the sense of, um, as a community, we will lighten your load a little. That's our, our task, is just to take a little bit of that burden on ourselves. Not too much, not codependently, not, <laughs> you know, not to save you, but just to take a little bit of your burden away and we'll all carry it together. Um, and so I do hope that that's what happens in places of belonging like this one. Um, it feels a little bit like your burden's lightened a little bit because everyone's carrying it with you. Well, thanks again, everybody, for a really a great discussion about what we've been going through and uh, some of some of the grittier stuff about that. Now, let's continue this discussion by transitioning into this week's reading from the companion book. And before we do that, though, I think there's an excerpt from Lovable that gives this chapter some necessary context. So I want to read that first. It's from chapter 12 of Lovable, entitled Worthiness Isn't Being Cocky, It's Being Honest. And this begins on page 98. This is indeed the strange paradox we all face if we choose to risk a little holy pride by taking our worthiness out of whatever bedside table we've been stashing it in. We are, each of us, something very, very good. And at the same time, the very good thing we are is also a gift. No more, no less, but absolutely enough. The paradox that our goodness was given to us saves us from toxic pride. When we take too much credit for the good thing we are, we develop the delusion we are self-made, in control of all things, and someone to be reckoned with. This is the toxic kind of pride, and usually when it speaks up, it puts others down. But once we know our goodness is a gift, once we know we are especially worthy, but not particularly special, we begin to suspect everyone else has been gifted with goodness as well. We want to speak up for ourselves, and we want to speak up for others. Which is why the holy kind of pride never puts people down. It always lifts them up. I'm glad Jesus had enough holy pride to speak up and lift up all of humanity out of its shame. I'm glad Abraham Lincoln had enough holy pride to speak up and lift up an entire race of people out of slavery. I'm glad Winston Churchill had enough holy pride to speak up and lift up a whole race of people out of genocide. 
I'm glad the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. had enough holy pride to speak up and lift up an entire nation out of its institutionalized oppression. I'm glad right now on a playground somewhere there is a kid who has enough holy pride to speak up and lift up another kid who doesn't know it's okay to speak up for himself. I'm glad my wife spoke up. I'm glad my therapist spoke up. I'm glad my spiritual mentor spoke up. I'm glad C.S. Lewis and Philip Yancey and Thomas Merton and Henry Nouwen and Richard Rohr and Gregory Boyle had enough holy pride to write about life and about love. In your first act, as you hear the voice of grace with increasing clarity and consistency, there will eventually come a time, and perhaps for you it has already come, when you are ready to open the bedside table, take out the parts of you that you've hidden there, and begin showing them to the world. There will come a time when the little one inside of you is ready to trade in his or her well-learned false humility for the holy kind of pride, which knows you are good, but also knows that goodness is a gift. Then you will feel increasingly free to walk through this life, bearing the gifts of your goodness and giving them away, because you know they are not yours to hold on to. So I, I read that because I think uh, it's a necessary context for this conversation about receiving compliments. So let's get into this week's reading now. Week 28, learning how to take a compliment. It was the first staff meeting of the academic year at the practice where I used to work. More than 20 psychologists, therapists, and psychiatrists gathered in a circle, and I felt like crawling in a hole. Was I about to be reprimanded? No, I was about to be validated. In order to emphasize the value each of us brings to the treatment team, we were going around the circle, and for 30 seconds, each clinician would be showered with words of affirmation by the rest of the group. I would be the fifth to go, and as the people ahead of me were blessed by good words about who they are, I discovered it was easy to call out affirmation for my colleagues. But as I prepared myself to receive affirmation from them, I began to steal myself for the experience. I wanted to put on armor, crack a joke, find a mask. I wanted to hide. There's a myth going around that we treat ourselves better than we treat everyone else. It is just that, a myth. Generally, it's way easier to sincerely give a compliment than to sincerely receive one. It's way easier to give others the good words they need than it is to show others how badly we need the good words they give us. As my turn came and the good words began to roll in, I tried to look everyone in the eye and say thank you. I did it because it's the polite thing to do, and I did it because at some level I was deeply grateful for these good people and these good words. But I also realized the way I was saying thank you with such solemnity actually reflected my distrust of the good things being said about me. Maybe that's true for all of us. We say thank you cautiously because we don't believe they mean it. We say thank you desperately because we're not sure we'll ever hear it again. We say thank you with surprise because the good thing would never have occurred to us. And sometimes, perhaps, we say thank you just to fill the uncomfortable space created by the good words we have coveted for so long but dare not truly believe. The night after the circle of affirmation, I arrived home for dinner, and Quinn, who was six at the time, greeted me at the door with a pile of his work from school. He shuffled through colorful drawings and writing assignments and math problems. I responded to him sincerely, and I told him how impressed I was by his hard work and attention to detail and creativity. I told him I thought he was pretty awesome. And do you know what my son did? He didn't look pained or anxious. He didn't try to deflect or change the subject. He didn't mumble any false humility or pithy modesty. No, he simply broke into a big smile, and as he walked away, he said one word, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No hiding, no dreading, no protecting, no cringing. Just a smile. Just receiving. Just a wide open taking in. Just an allowing. My good words welcomed into his good heart, mingling and dancing in his soul. 
We have amnesia for our awesomeness, but once upon a time, before our wounds in our world made us forget, we knew the good things were true. We believed them so thoroughly it didn't hurt to hear them. We believed them so completely we didn't need to say thank you, as if we were at a funeral. I know I have to teach my son to say thank you because it's a social convention and we're social creatures and I want him to feel grateful for the good people around him. But a part of me hopes he'll never stop simply saying yeah in his heart. A part of me hopes he will sit in a circle of his colleagues 30 years from now and not feel pain when good things are spoken into him. I hope every single one of us will return to that place in our hearts where we recognize the worthy creature we are so that when love comes our way, we all might believe in ourselves enough to say simply and sincerely, yeah. And when we say thank you, may it not be an expression of our disbelief, but a way of saying thank you for showing up, thank you for seeing me, and thank you for celebrating the revelation of who I am. So that is this week's reading. Um, And in it, I list a few of the reasons that, and this is coming from a very personal place in me, right? So I'm listing a few of the reasons that I have a hard time receiving a compliment. Um, I think two of the most powerful for me are, number one, I was taught that to feel good about myself is arrogant, and to be arrogant is to be bad. So to feel good about oneself is to be bad. A plus B equals C. And then the other is not wanting others to see how badly I want them to say good things about me um, for some of the same reasons. You know, I don't want others to to see that desperation. It feels vulnerable. Um, I'm curious if you have any other kind of thoughts or reactions to this reading Um reasons that you, it is hard to receive compliments, um, ways you resist it, um, and, uh, and any other experiences on the other side of the coin too. Um, the, the relief of being able to receive a compliment, of knowing what is said is true about you. You know, being a little more like Quinn saying, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I am good. And that goodness is a gift. What are your thoughts? Stephanie writes, I love that your son said, yeah, I hear him saying it with that acceptance and that he thought the same too. It's like he was saying, thank you for recognizing me and my efforts. Yep. Yeah. I can, you know, he, he does it, he does it unselfconsciously like that less and less these days as he's getting older. That's what happens to all of us. Um, but I can still picture moments like that where he, he really knows he's done a good, he's really proud of it. You know, like he, he, he sits back and he just sort of marvels at what at what he created and he goes, wow, I'm, I really did a great job. And then when somebody sees that, he's like, yeah, you, you feel the same way as me about what I just did. It's such a beautiful thing to not feel like you have to hide that. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, I, this, this week is going to be about trying to just let ourselves delight in what is in us and what we're able to produce and, um, and, and knowing it's okay to receive it when other people delight in it as well. Trieste writes, my purest friendships have developed from an exchange of honest, vulnerable compliments. Um, I, I love that. The idea that um, the, the truest places of belonging have to be places where we can exchange a sense of loneliness and share it and be honest about it, but that it, they are also places where people are showing up and affirming who we are and that we're able to take that in. Um, I'm glad to hear that that's been your experience too, Trieste. Sashi writes, I feel hard to accept compliments because I am never sure if it is coming from a place of sincerity. Um, it reminds me, um, Sashi, of, of conversations we've had about how important it is for the people we belong to to know that they can say no to us. Um, you know, I, I'm always relieved when someone can say no to me because it means that when they say yes to me, it's probably sincere. And in the same way, then, our circles of belonging need to be places where we know someone is going to tell us the truth and challenge us 
um, when, when we need to be challenged. And then if that's happening, then when they compliment us, when they affirm us, when they validate us, we can trust that that is real. And I think, I think that might be one of the most valuable things about therapy, for example, as a place of belonging, is that therapy is not a place. It's not, you know, um, I had a, a therapist friend once who said, if you need a, if you need a friend, there are cheaper friends than me. Um, and what she meant is, you know, if you need a place where someone is just going to say good things to you, um, there are other places to go. Therapy is the place where someone is, is tenderly, but, but truly honest with you. Um, and so that means that when they challenge you, you can trust their sincerity. And when they affirm you, they can, you can trust their sincerity. Um, you're not paying for compliments. You're paying for a, a space and a time in which you can trust the person as being sincere about their reflections on you. So, um, so yeah, I think the, the irony is that the, the hard work of building belonging that we discussed sort of paves the way for being able to trust the sincerity of the compliments we're talking about now. Carla writes, first time joining. Welcome, Carla. Oh, it's, it's good to have you here for the first time. Um, and Carla writes, I identified with your reasons for being uncomfortable with compliments, something I am working on after taking a class in mindfulness. Oh man, that's invaluable, Carla, um, to be to be able to pause and briefly just be mindful of and reflect upon what's, what's that resistance coming up in me? Um, what is that resistance teaching me about why I don't think it's okay for me to receive this compliment or this affirmation? Um, that's a valuable reminder to all of us that... Um, that even in even in this sort of space of, of learning how to take compliments, we need to create create room to reflect upon what's going on inside of us. Julie writes, Captain Independent over here. Lost the rest of my thoughts regarding compliments, but the first four words say plenty. Rolling eyes at myself. I think again, um, Julie, you said it very very succinctly and and very well. Captain Independent over here. Gosh, I just wrote. I'm so scattered at this point, but I just wrote somewhere that independence is a way of being invulnerable, right? We've, we've, we've elevated it to this, uh, to this status of it being an honorable thing, but, and it can be. And we do want to, for instance, raise children who are independent and know how to survive um, mostly on their own and thrive, um, but it can then be used by the ego to protect us. I'm independent, I don't need help. Um, oh, that's where I wrote it. We're gonna talk next week about um, about asking for help and relinquishing some of our independence. So maybe you're just being precocious here, Julie. Um, but yeah, we, we, we sort of use that. And, uh, and we say, well, I don't really need encouragement from other people. I'm okay. Um, and that can, be a, that can be a sticking point in our, in our embracing our worthiness as well, is that once we do, we can start to say, well, now that I know I'm worthy, I don't really need to hear that from other people. And yet we're relational beings. Um, we grow in our sense of worthiness every time we're able to receive that, that feedback from somebody else. So important to, to recognize the interdependence of our sense of worthiness as well once we've begun to trust it. Julia writes, independence is also a self-fulfilling thing with affirmations because it can come off as standoffish and push people away. Good point, Julie. Um, yeah, people, people can get a sense when they're their compliments and their affirma affirmations aren't super well received, right? And uh, and they will begin to dwindle when we do that. So yeah, so independence can ultimately drive drive those compliments and affirmations away. And that's you know that's that's how we know it's an ego thing. You know, the ego does end up driving away all sincere and authentic connection. <laughs> and so um, 
independence that seems to invite true connection is probably coming from a place of true self. Independence that somehow ends up pushing it away, probably coming from ego and false self, and it's good to discern the two. Um, but not to write off independence as all good or all bad, it's just the function of it. Anne writes, on a trip with my best friend and took the opportunity to tell her the things I value in her. None of us hear that much. That is beautiful, Anne. Yeah, and we have to, I mean, we have to, to look for those opportunities. I, I mean, there are so many times where I think of something I want to affirm about somebody and I could simply just send a text or make a note to make a phone call and I don't do it. Um, and so we do need to look for those opportunities. And, and maybe we hesitate because we worry we're going to make someone uncomfortable. But let's put that on them. <laughs> let's put on that job of working through their discomfort and their resistance on them. Let's give them a chance to receive the compliments they're worthy of. Brenda writes, I also love his childlike yeah. I think compliments surprise me. Then I say a genuine thank you while pushing down my inner yeah, but it's not as good as I envisioned it. Mmm, right, right, right. Yeah, someone compliments something you so take of my son's work of art, for instance, right? Um, we can get in this trap of comparing it to the ideal that we had in our head. And, and we, we're referencing the gap between how it turned out and the ideal, um, while the person outside of us just gets to witness how it turned out and delight in it. Um, and there's so much about having to let go of our ideal um, and embrace what is and embrace what we were able to do. Um, and, uh, and to, again, trust that we're worthy, even though what we produce isn't always perfect. Um, a compliment can be a chance to do that again. And as we're talking, I'm realizing how much you know, we're now into these months of loving and focusing on belonging rather than worthiness, but I'm realizing how much a compliment can send us right back into the, 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 the worthiness work again, right? A compliment says, this is how I see you, and it may create a gap in how we're seen by others and, and, and by ourselves that we have to reconcile. Wow, they experience me as more worthy than I experience myself in this situation. What am I going to do about that? Am I going to resist their compliment, say they're wrong, it's not true? Or am I going to say, wait, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe I'm not seeing my worthiness as clearly as I need to. And I need to do a little more work of embracing that worthiness. So in a way, this element of belonging could challenge us right back into those, those worthiness months. Mary writes, thank you. I love your podcast and these live conversations. Bless you, my good and gentle man. Oh, you've taught me so much about loving myself. All right, Mary, you've provided me with an opportunity to reflect live on that experience. So you just called me a good and gentle man. Um, I immediately thought of uh, an hour ago when my wife was leaving the house and I was stressed about getting this busy day of mine ready to go and I was not gentle. Um, I asked for space, but not in a gentle way. Um, and then I, and then I reached out to her, you know, 10 minutes later said, sorry about that. Um, took my stress out on you. But what I remember is what I remember is the uh, the lack of gentleness. So anyhow, thank you for affirming that and redirecting me to something that's that's true about me, um, even though I can think of exceptions to it. Um, and uh, and so maybe that's worth just saying, you know, here on this on this podcast, which is when someone compliments us and affirms something about us, we will always be able to think of exceptions to it. But what they're doing is they're pointing us back to our truest self. Um, the part of us that we want to inhabit more and more. And Mary, because you said that about me today, um, I'm reminded of that self and will be reminded to embody it more and more. So thank you for that. <laughs> Julie writes, compliment is opportunity for curiosity. Dig it. Yep. 
yeah, that's yeah the, the idea of mindfully stopping for a moment and uh, and just being curious about what it, it brought up in us, um, as as Mary's compliment to me just did. Carrie Lynn writes, resisting compliments for me is the fear that more will be expected now. Ooh, thank you for adding that. I do everything with incredible dedication and detail. I'm giving all I got at any given moment or any given time. I am often asked for more on the heels of a compliment. Rather not have them, thank you. <laughs> Laugh out loud. However, for my close friends and family, I treasure letters or texts of appreciation. They make my heart swell with love. I have a practice of writing love letters to my friends and loved ones as well. That is beautiful, Carrie Lynn. It's insightful. And um, I, it points out something that we we need to attend to, which is that compliments can, you know, also, as we've talked about a little bit, compliments can come from someone else's false self. Compliments can be used as a way to manipulate. There can be an insincerity about comments. It, they can set a bar, right? Okay, I, comp I, I complimented you on that. Now I want you to keep doing that. And oh, and by the way, once you've achieved that, you know, that sales goal, I'm going to expect you to achieve the next one. And so, it the, the compliments that we're talking about, the ones that we want to be most receptive to, are the compliments not about what we've done, but about who we are. So, in other words, when my son shows me his art. Um, I don't, the compliment isn't necessarily, ooh, I bet that's going to win the art show at school, right? It's not about what he's done. It's about, wow, that took a lot of persistence to, to do that. Like, that's, there's a lot of detail in there. You stuck with that for a long time. Or, um, boy, you envisioned that all on your own? What creativity? It's affirming who he is, not necessarily what he's produced. Um, so let's make ourselves particularly receptive to affirmations about who we are, because that's a, that's a, that's a static thing. It's not, it's not changing. People aren't going to expect us to be more of who we are or anything like that. Um, and so those compliments can be really safe to, to receive. Marie writes, I don't have a good track record of accepting the compliments. Shame says they don't really know the other side of me. Listening for the voice of grace to hear better. Yes, definitely returning to the worthiness work now. Yeah, Marie, thanks for that affirmation. I mean, you just nailed it, right? You just said, I get a compliment stirs up my shame. My shame says, yeah, but you're not enough in this way. And they just don't know that yet. They won't give you the compliment when they know that. And, uh, and yeah. And so it's, it's about once again saying, you know what? Uh, sometimes others are telling the truth about ourselves and the voice of shame isn't. And, uh, and the, the gift of them telling the truth is something we have to work hard to receive. Um, and I also think it goes back to that idea that in places of true belonging, where more and more you're revealing your mess and the compliments keep coming in, you can trust those compliments. You can trust the sincerity of those. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I, 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 I appreciate the, the affirmation, Marie, that this, this launches us back into worthiness work in a way too. All right, so now that we've talked uh, at length about resisting compliments, um, let's talk about a few possible practices that we can engage in this week to become more intentional about receiving compliments. It's the week 28 practice. Here we go. Can you guess what we're going to practice this week? <laughs> well done, very intuitive. See what I did there? Yes, this week we're gonna practice saying thank you, not desperately, not with disdain, but with sincerity. Here are four ways to do so. Number one, if you have a group of friends who are brave enough to do this with you, invite them to do so. Pick someone's house, gather in a circle, and give each person 30 seconds to receive the good words that are being said about them. Now I know that's intense, so here's number two. 
Choose one of the friends you've been cultivating belonging with in recent weeks. Ask them if you can write a letter to them authentically affirming who they are. Ask them if they'd be willing to do the same for you. Ask if you can get together and read those letters aloud, each of you practicing receiving the affirmations with a simple thank you. So again, this is not just about giving the affirmations. It's about really encouraging each other to truly receive them. Number three, make a list of compliments you've received over the years. Now, most people say at first they can't remember any. Be patient. Recall the people you've enjoyed being with the most. The chances are they saw your worthiness and mentioned it. Now, after making that list, hand your list to a trusted friend, companion, or counselor. Have them read the compliments to you out loud. Practice saying thank you. Number four, make the same list of compliments, but throw in a few compliments of your own. Yes, it's okay to have good things to say about yourself. Now find a mirror, make eye contact, compliment yourself, and express gratitude to yourself. This will be harder than you think. You might even become emotional. If so, try to allow the emotions to happen. Again, if you are scheduling time with someone else, perhaps you can't do it this week, but at least schedule the time. You have worked hard to cultivate belonging. Now enjoy some of the fruit of that, no matter how hard it is to swallow at first. So I'm curious, as you hear about those exercises, if... Um, if they sound daunting or exciting. Um, I am always cautious in sharing these exercises that it not become another task that you feel like is too hard to do. So I'm just really curious to hear what you think about them or if you have any other kind of creative ideas or practices that you might add to those um, in, the, in the effort to, to become more comfortable with, with saying thank you, with saying yeah. Stephanie writes, these are great practical ways to affirm our worthiness. Thank you. I've kept cards from people and texts when I get a compliment or affirmation. When I'm feeling really down on myself, I do reread them and my heart does swell. It is a good practice. Stephanie, thanks for adding that practice. Um, yeah, that you don't even necessarily have to remember mentally um, the, the good things that people have spoken into you. If maybe over time you've kept cards, I think a lot of us do that, don't we? We've got a, a bedside table where we've kept kept cards that were given to us, affirmations, things that we that rang true at the time. And so, yeah, go mine, mine that treasure trove of truth, right? And, and remember who you are. I love it. Thank you, Stephanie. Trieste writes, I also quit apologizing for little things like being late, house messy. Instead, I approach it by thanking whoever tolerated it. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for patiently waiting. Thanks for ignoring it. It prompts a more appreciative and grateful attitude in whole. I love that, Trieste. Thank you for that. Um, and it's an opportunity to affirm others, right? Like, thanks for your grace. You're a graceful person that you embrace me in the midst of this messy stuff, um, that you gave me a little bit of grace for being late. Um, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your tolerance. So yeah, the, you know, if we, and it's an example of how if we are willing to give ourselves grace, then we can pass that on to others as well. So thanks for that. That that's a great example, Trieste. Anne writes, love that. What is being said about me is truer than what is being said within me. Yep. Um, you know, I think we have to acknowledge that, um, like when I'm sitting in that group, right, and I'm shouting out compliments to other people in the group, that, um, that, when, that when people do that, they're not having to, like, scramble. They're not having to, like, oh, my gosh, I should really say something good about that person and I, I can't think of anything. That in general, people are aware 
of things they delight in about us. Um, we don't often create spaces to share that. And, uh, and so we, we, more often than not, there's sincerity to that. And we've acknowledged a few times today how sometimes um, compliments can be used to manipulate, but more often than not, I think we have to trust that they're sincere and that what's being said is, is true. Marie writes, the practice feels timely and daunting. Just asking friends to enter this next level of belonging. I have friends who I'm sure will do it with me. It's just my discomfort. I love that, Marie. You're poised. You're poised to, de you know, we talk about in, in Lovable how our circles of belonging typically shrink as we go through this process, but then deepen. And, and so we've gone through the shrinking process in these months of loving, and now this really is about deepening. And to know that people who that you have people who will want to go deep with you, but it's going to feel a little bit uncomfortable at first. Um, that is, you are poised. And uh, and my hope is that for each of us, we can identify one person who we sense they'll go deeper with me, even though it'll be a little uncomfortable initiating. Um, I remember specifically when I was going through my own therapy, that that was how my therapist encouraged me to begin cultivating belonging. He said, identify three people, three other guys who you think would be willing to go deeper with you. And instantly I knew three guys and instantly I started, you know, venturing into the discomfort zone. So Maria, I hope that, uh, hope you're able to do that as well. Brenda asks, any tips for what to do when an adult child keeps deflecting your compliments? My reaction, Brenda, is that it's hard to answer because it's hard to know the specifics of the relationship and the specifics of the dynamics within that adult child. But my guess is, uh, as as the parent of an adult child, you also don't know exactly why those compliments are being deflected. So my sense is, is that the healthiest thing to do is to say, um, hey, I notice when I give you a compliment, it bounces off you, <laughs> you know, rolls off your back like water off of a duck's back. It bounces off you like armor. Why, why don't you like... Why don't, do you not like me complimenting you? What's what's up? And again, you know, now it's not just curiosity about what's going on inside of you, but it's curiosity about what's going on between you. And uh, and belonging is, again, born in that space where you can have an honest conversation about that. So um, so that that's my first reaction, is that it's hard to answer in specifics because we don't know until we get curious about what's going on with that person. Donna writes, I am blessed to have a tribe of friends whose tradition is to speak words of affirmation to the one whose birthday we've gathered for. I've been in the receiving end of that many times, and the amount to which it fills my soul has also taught me how important it is to practice giving affirmation, not just on birthdays, but in random ways. It's just a blessing on blessing that at my age now is a practice I treasure. By the way, the birthday recipient has to just sit and take it. Ha ha ha. Yeah, that's be what a beautiful tradition um, within your group, um, that you essentially do what was done in that staff meeting for everybody's birthday and everybody, I can affirm, I spent a weekend with Donna at the lovable weekend in Texas a few weeks. It was only two weeks ago now, wasn't it, Donna? Um, and Donna, you, um, you have a gift for affirming. Um, you have a gift for delighting in other people and clearly clearly you have cultivated that gift um, because uh, those around you, um, they, they feel like they have a home when they're with you. And I just want you to know that um, this is true about you. 
Julie writes, I want to know what's on the line with their hesitation. Yeah, exactly. So again, curiosity. And Julie, you're the one who introduced this idea of curiosity last week. Um, but yeah, curiosity. What's what's going on right now? Why, why do you hesitate to receive that? could be that simple, you know? And you can't force belonging. You can't then force the adult child's willingness or anyone's willingness to then engage that question and become curious with you or become vulnerable about things they're aware of. Um, but you can invite it. And you can just keep inviting it over and over again. And that's probably worth saying again. And something that we have to remember is that we can't force belonging. We can only invite it. Um, and it takes, it takes someone willing to receive that invitation. And each time that we give an affirmation to somebody, we're inviting belonging. And, uh, and then it's that person's, it's that person's choice to receive that and, and cultivate belonging with you or to resist it. And, um, and we are limited in our power over that. All right, let's wrap up the discussion here for this week. Thanks again, everybody. Um, I'm really looking forward to our next discussion uh, about week 29, which is entitled Embracing Your Limitations and Being Embraced by Your People. We're going to talk about how we tend to use, as we've begun to discuss in today's episode, how we tend to use independence as a protection against vulnerability and how we can step into the intimacy of asking for help. Until then, remember, you are lovable, and all you have to do is say yeah. See you.